You can be seated. Well, it's a special privilege to uh, introduce you to some folks that have become friends. For a long time, we've known Dave Park uh, and his ministry, Infusion Ministries. Dave has partnered with our church uh, years ago, and, and since then, uh, their, their ministry really partners with local churches and helps give them the tools and the resources and does teaching to help people find freedom in Christ, to help them be free in the way that they think, uh, to help us learn how to get beyond, uh, like we're going to talk about this morning, get beyond your past and to experience new beginnings, um, but also to know really what it means to have your identity found, founded in Jesus and that he is where we, we, uh, we take our identity from. He's our foundation and we're secure in him. So Dave has been a blessing. He's going to come up in a minute and share with you. Uh, but in the meantime, I wanted to let you know Dave is partnering with a professional theater company, Searchlight Theater. And uh, Michael and David, are you guys here? Come on up. I want to introduce these guys, and uh, you know, guys, they're, they're, they're Brits, so let's welcome them. They're from out of town, huh? See that warm American welcome? We've gotten over the past. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I had the privilege of taking these guys to Gettysburg on Friday. Um, I think it was more Dave's thing. Uh, he was pretty excited about getting to Gettysburg, but we took them all, and they indulged uh, as we learned and delved into our American history uh, down in Gettysburg. You learn anything? Glad you stopped squabbling amongst yourselves. <laughs> we, seriously, we leave here for, what, 100 years, and there you are, fighting amongst yourselves. But... <laughs> uh, we had a great time on Friday. It was, it was, it was fun for all. Uh, but these guys uh, do an amazing job. They were here Thursday night and worked with our worship arts teams, uh, led that uh, time that we had together. It was fantastic. And tonight they're going to put on a, a full-scale performance. Uh, but tonight we thought we'd give you just a, a little taste of who these guys are. This has nothing to do with what Absolutely we're going to be nothing, nothing to do with what we're going to be seeing tonight. Uh, but let's welcome David and Michael Searchlight thank you, thank you. Theater. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Tonight is a very serious play, but we couldn't resist the opportunity to let our hair down a little bit and no, give you something a little good. bit fun this morning. And thank you very much for making us feel so welcome. We had a great time indulging at Gettysburg, and we indulged at a chocolate factory as well yesterday, local. It's good. Not as good as Cadbury's, I'm afraid, at but all. very good. Yeah. We enjoyed our time there. Yeah. Oh, come on. It's not, is it? Really? It's not. No. Sorry, we have to be slightly snobbish. It's, uh, it's a stereotype you have of us. But we're um, going to do a little sketch for you. We like to sort of come up to those expectations. Um, that, that we do what we call improvisation. So you call out a name of a biblical character, anyone you like, anyone. and then we do a sketch on that biblical character. It's exciting, anyone. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Woo! Thank you. Thank a you. Anyone. Okay, so just call out a name. Anyone. Jesus! Somebody else? No, not that one. No. No. Have they said it yet? They haven't said it yet. No, not yet. No, no. No, no. No. No, no, no. No. Noah, yes! yes. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. I gave you I $5 we, for that. I think we can improv around that. I think we've got some props for it and everything. Thank you, sir. Very good. Wow, well a word of yeah, knowledge here already this morning, friends. Harvest. God is good. Are you starting? Yeah, I am. So Noah was a righteous man. In fact, the only righteous man really living left on earth. So yes. God decided to send this torrential and indeed devastating flood all over the... <laughs> that was... That was more than the first service, I must yeah. say. <laughs> and, and colder. Yeah. Yes. It's what are you doing? Hmm? What are you doing, man? It's a visual aid. Visual aid, but I'm soaking wet. Yes. Well, you know that book you got me for Christmas last year on better communication? Yes. Yeah, well, I read it, and um, it turns out that people remember things better with a visual aid. But I'm soaking wet. And they'll remember that. Ah. <laughs> Why am I soaking wet? Sorry? Why am I soaking wet? Hmm? Forgotten. You forgot. Are you doing a visual aid for everything in this part of the story? Oh, I could do. You could do. Anyway, God decided to obliterate and get rid of every single person on the earth. Ah! <laughs> hmm? What are you doing? What are you doing? Obliterating mankind. <laughs> He obliterated. He didn't obliterate them that way, I can assure you. He, ob he obliterated everyone apart from Noah. Oh, are you Noah? Yes. Oh, right. <laughs> Noah had three sons Shem, Japheth, and not forgetting, of course, Ham. <laughs> we went to a lot of trouble for that. Indeed. So God decided that he would are destroy Are you doing the narration now? Hmm? Are you doing the narration? 
Well, it was a joint production. I thought we could split it 50-50. Well, I was doing the narration, but... You were doing the narration, but I thought it was maybe time for a younger model. <laughs> Why are you applauding? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Thank you. It was funny. Thank you. I'll do the visual aids. You do the visual aids. It's, I think you could bring something interesting to it. So, God told Noah to build the ark. He said, make it... Make it 120 yards long, make it 45 feet high, make it 75 feet wide, give it a roof, a middle, an upper deck, and from that, Noah made the ark. Are you singing happy birthday to yourself? You turned 50 today. <laughs> you know you're getting old when they applaud your age. <laughs> yeah, hurry up, I've got to sit down. Yeah. <laughs> what is that? Um, what is that? It's me going... Yeah, no, what is that? No, this is, a, this is a visual aid. Tommy the tugboat. They'll remember it, I tell you. They'll remember it. Will they? Of course they will. What's the name of the tugboat? I told you they'd remember it. You... Yeah. <laughs> she didn't. So then God told Noah to take every kind of animal, a male and its mate. And from that, Noah took... (laughs) Quacking crocodiles. (laughs) They've eaten the ducks. Right, okay, so then from that, Noah and his wife... You haven't asked who they are yet. (laughs) Who are they? This is Charlie the crocodile. Yep. And, and this is Clara. Clara and Charlie. Clara? Charlie the crocodile. Right, that's a different name from the first service and the one that we did on the second campus. I can never remember them. No, you can't. <laughs> so from that, ladies and gentlemen, Noah and his wife went onto the ark. Now, after 40 days, Noah released a raven to go and search for some dry land. Off went the raven. <laughs> what are you doing? Oi! Oi! Get back! We're not due at the next campus yet. No, come back. What are you doing? Most people are saying, what are you doing? It's not a raven. That's Clara the crocodile. It's not a raven. Anytime. Come on, make it snappy. That's a gag. Clara, that's Clara the crocodile, not a raven. I think if Tommy the tugboat can play the ark... Clara, the crocodile, can play the raven. Who's applauding? That's not an applause moment. And that's Charlie, not Clara. Yeah. I got away with that one. After seven days, then, God told Noah to release this magnificent dove. The dove... Happy birthday again, all right? There's indulgences and then there's. That's a dove. Eh? Glove. Huh? Dove, glove, glove. You got me doing it now. I thought you said glove. Yeah, no, I said dove. You said glove as well. well I said glove as well, but I said dove first. Dove. Oh. Glove. Why would God tell Noah to release a magnificent glove? Maybe God had a hand in it. Yeah. <laughs> now that deserves applause. Yeah. <laughs> That's our best gag. Thank you. And so, after the 27th day of the second month, dry land appeared, and Noah and his wife stepped out onto it as long as the earth endured. Sea time and harvest. Golden heat. Summer and winter. America and Canada. Will never cease. And then God said to Noah and his wife... Be fruitful. And multiply. We're not doing doing that. that. Thank you. you. See you later. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael and David of the Searchlight Theatre Company... David really is 50 today. It is his birthday. I've spent the last month traveling with these two. One needs a laxative and the other needs Ritalin. I don't think you'll have any trouble discerning which. As you look at this beautiful stage, it will come together. There'll be a fireplace and a picture of Aslan gazing at you. He's watching you. 
And he wants to make sure that you come back tonight at 6.30. Wait, this is daybreak, right? At 6 o'clock, you need to be here, right? So everyone heard 6 o'clock, daybreak time, so you get it, right? Um, C.S. Lewis was born in Belfast, Ireland. He died the very same day that John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Now, you'll never forget when C.S. Lewis died. In his life, he gave us perhaps some of the greatest literary Christian works that have ever been penned. The Screwtape Letters, The Chronicles of Narnia. Mere Christianity was not a book that he sat down and outlined and then carefully wrote. He delivered C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity on a BBC broadcast off the top of his head. Then they manuscripted it and gave us one of the greatest apologetic Christian classics of all time. He was a man that had a photographic memory. David will bring him to like. Did David kind of sound a little bit like Cary Grant? To, hey, a little bit like Cary Grant up there. I defy you to watch our production tonight and not leave talking like Cary Grant or a Scotsman or something because the British accent, it just kind of wears on you. It's kind of awesome, isn't it? And guys, I know Valentine's is over, but it comes in handy. Darling, would you perhaps get me a soda? Or if you're a Brit, a beer. But anyway, you know, these guys drink like fish. Are they sober? Would you look over there, please? Do they look sober? Oh, help me. Tonight, oh dear. Tonight, it would be very appropriate for you to bring individuals that don't know Christ. While Lewis, the ultimate apologist, is confronted with a friendship with a young student by the name of Teller. Teller is a troubled youth. Most youth are troubled today, amen? Most people are troubled today. And we need to give them answers. And you know what? We have them. And Lewis provides answers for this young man. This is not a production that I would recommend for 10 and under. It really is a serious performance tonight. We performed this production outside of Chicago and Frankfurt, a self proclaimed atheist, a young man came saying he wanted nothing to do with Christianity. He was polite. He was kind. Uh, he just thought Christianity was childish. Intellectually, couldn't stand. As he watched the two-hour production, at the conclusion of that production, he prayed to receive Jesus Christ as his Lord and personal Savior. There's a church in Frankfurt, Illinois that will never be the same, and a young man who perhaps will be raised up and follow in the footsteps of one whose life helped lead him to Christ. I'm going to ask you to pray with me now. David and Michael are some of the most professional actors, uh, Christian actors that I've ever met. That's why we invited their company over and why our ministry has invested so much time, talent, and treasure to bring this production about. But it is not merely to entertain people. It is to awaken them to the great works of C.S. Lewis, but also to be confronted with the ultimate question, what will I do with Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God? And while I guarantee you tonight's performance will be masterfully done, if we do not have the presence of Jesus, we have just entertained. And I am not bringing this set here, these actors here, and interrupting all of the work that Daybreak does just to entertain. So can we invite the very presence of our Lord and our Savior to speak to us tonight? Father, we do not take lightly that you said to us if we would gather in your name, you made a promise, you put your word on it, and you said, I will be there in your midst. Father, we thank you for Nigel Ford writing a powerful script. We thank you for incredible, professional British actors that can bring C.S. Lewis to life. But Father, we need you desperately. We proclaim and agree with your word that without you we can do nothing. So we ask for your presence. Manifest yourself tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. And all God's people said? So come tonight at what time? 6 o'clock, 6.30, right? And if you can't come, come anyway.
Well, good morning. I'm Carmen, and I do sincerely hope that you will be able to make it tonight. It's going to be a great performance, not only in the quality of what they do, but um, in the way that it will engage your heart as well. And it lines up so well with what we have been learning through this past month through the Hijacked series, because the production tonight is all about the battle for your mind, which is really what this series has been all about as well. The the idea of being able to identify the lies that we believe that hijack our identity so that we can reclaim the truth of who we are. So I really hope you'll be able to make it tonight. Well, as I mentioned, we are continuing this hijacked series, and we talked about the first week in this series on being robbed by relationships. Last weekend, we talked about being stolen by success, and today we're going to talk about what it means to be a prisoner to the past and how we can be freed from that prison of the past. Now, I think all of us know that memories can be really powerful, right? Sometimes, like, you encounter something, and it just triggers a flood of memories, like, out of nowhere, it seems. So, has it ever happened to anyone else? I know it happens to me all of the time. Um, I, just this past week, was looking at some old photos, um, and... Uh, we have an anniversary party coming up for my parents next weekend. And so I'm looking through some old photos. And when I came across some of them, man, as soon as I saw that picture, it just transported me right back in time to the, the house that we lived at then and what was happening in our lives then. So sometimes it's something like a photo that takes us back. Sometimes it's something like a scent that we smell something and all of a sudden it reminds us of something that happened a long time ago. For me, strangely enough, one of those scents is Pantene shampoo because it sends me me back to a time when my mom wasn't well and I needed to help her um, wash her hair and take care of her and she used Pantene shampoo. So now anytime that I smell that, it takes me right back to that season of my life. Or maybe sometimes your memories are triggered by an object that you have around your house. I know for me, I've had this shirt for like, what, 25 years now. It says, somebody loves me. Isn't that cute? But what triggers memories for me in this shirt is that this is a shirt that my dad gave to me when I left for college. And it was the first time that he ever really attempted to verbalize um, his love for me. And he did it in the form of this little some bunny loves me shirt. And it was a breakthrough moment for my dad and I. Now, clearly dad still had something to learn about choosing the right size. <laughs> to fit. But nonetheless, I have not been able to part with this shirt for so many years because of the memories that um, it brings back for me and the, w- the way I've kind of attached to it because of what it represents to me. Sometimes we do this with songs too. Have you ever been listening to a song on the radio and a, or listen to the radio and a song comes on and all of a sudden you're like, oh my word, I am right back there where I was when that song was first released. That ever happened to anybody? Yes, we're going to take you on a little trip down memory lane this morning. I have a montage of songs for you, and perhaps as you hear some of them, you will um, be reminded of another part of your past as well. So let's take a listen, see if it triggers any memories for you. I love you, Peggy Sue. Little Buddy Holly going on for you there. Got some old timers in the room, yeah? Stand by me. Benny King, take anybody back? There was a remake of this one, too, so you don't even have to be from the 60s to appreciate this one. I know you're thinking of Ghost right now. I know you're thinking of that that scene. Leonard Skinner, I know he's a part of your past. I know he is. Come on, come on. You can do it. You're going there, I know you are. Children of the 80s, this is your time. Journey. Mm-hmm. Remember all the pr- plastic bracelets that you wore all the way up your arms? Yeah. The boss. Iconic. 
Rod Stewart. Sweet little song that he did. 19, what was that? 1988, by the way. Yeah, can't touch this. Yeah, everyone's dancing to that one. <laughs> nice, we should have a dance party this morning. <laughs> Got to get a little Whitney in there this week. Kevin Costner, the bodyguard. If you know it, go ahead and do it. Go ahead. I don't. I don't remember it honestly. <laughs> Bird, getting a little more modern for the younger people in the room. That one just sticks with you, doesn't it? Good old 2006 song. All right, well, that was a fun little trip down memory lane. Did any of those songs trigger like memories for you? Did it take you back to another time for anybody? Okay, like three. Yeah, good. It's a good illustration. Glad we spent the time on that this morning. (laughs) No, but I'm sure that all of us have had those moments where something has happened. We've sensed something, heard something, smelled something, seen something, and it's taken us back in time and just triggered a whole flood of memories. And sometimes when that happens, that flood of memories that we experience is just something that makes us smile and it brings us joy and it's a little nostalgic. But when we're honest, we also know that sometimes we get this flood of memories that trigger that triggers and it takes us back to a time that isn't quite so happy inside. It triggers something inside of us that causes us to remember a, a season of pain or loss or maybe regret. And some of those memories tend to stick with us and kind of haunt us when we go back in time because Sometimes we remember those times when maybe as a kid you tormented someone on the playground and you never did go back and make it right and you feel bad about that now. Or you encounter something and it triggers a memory and, man, I remember when I lied about that or when I cheated on that or I remember that epic fail that I had in my life. Or maybe it's a memory that triggers that time that you had an affair or an abortion, or a time that you were locked into an addiction. Some of those memories stick with us, and they haunt us, and they want to hijack us from experiencing life today. They want to keep us prisoner to the past. And the good news that I want you to hear today is that we do not have to live in that place. God has brought freedom from the past. We do not have to be a prisoner to our past. And so what I want you to understand today is the lie, which this is in your program guide. If you haven't already pulled your outline out of your program guide, you can do that now. It's your first blank. The lie is that my past will always define who I am. This is what our enemy wants us to believe, that what has happened in the past will always dictate who I am today and who I'm going to be tomorrow. But the truth is this. The truth is that my past has been redeemed, so I am free to express my God-given identity. And that's what God wants us to hear. I'm confident this is what God wants us to hear today. He has redeemed our past. So now we are free to live out the future with hope and with joy the way that he intended it to be. God gives us a clean slate. We have a little video clip this morning that kind of gives a good visual picture of what it feels like to get that clean slate. So let's take a look at this video.
So today is a new day. There is no turning back in God's eyes. So what do we need to remember today when we want to be hijacked by our past? What do we need to remember? Well, first of all, we need to remember that confession gives me a clean slate and a clear focus. Confession gives me a clean slate and a clear focus. Okay, so when we do something wrong, we have this little thing inside of us that tells us that we've crossed a line. It's called guilt, and guilt is not always a bad thing. As a matter of fact, guilt can be a good thing. I read this week, um, some kids were asked what a guilty conscience is, and a couple of their responses were this. One little girl said, a guilty conscience is a pot inside of you that burns if you're not good. And the second one, this is my favorite, a little boy said, a guilty conscience is the feeling that you get when you feel bad that you kick girls or little dogs. (laughs) I love that. And I love it that we understand that sometimes it's good to feel bad when you've kicked girls or little dogs. Guilt lets you know that you have crossed a line and it lets you know that you've done something wrong and it prompts you to make it right again. And you know, I'm glad that we have that little thing inside of us that does that. Because if I ever don't feel that twinge of guilt when I have done something wrong, it means that my heart is headed towards a very dark, dangerous, cold place. Guilt can be a good thing because guilt can lead us to honesty, it can lead us to confession, it can lead us to forgiveness, it can lead us to making a better choice the next time. So guilt is not always a bad thing. The problem is, we don't always deal with guilt in a healthy way. We don't always let the guilt prompt us to go back and make it right. And so instead of resolving the guilt, going back and making it right, we let that guilt simmer inside of there. And unresolved guilt becomes a very destructive thing. It says in Psalm 51.3, for I recognize my shameful deeds, they haunt me day and night. That word haunt is just kind of gripping, isn't it? And that's what it feels like when you're stuck in that pattern of the stuff simmering underneath, that unresolved guilt. It kind of haunts and it torments because there's this stuff inside of you that there's just not peace there. When we have these secret sins in our life, they do haunt us if we haven't confessed them. And you need to understand that secret sin cannot coexist with inner peace. That guilt that you have inside of you for what you have done wrong cannot coexist with, with inner peace. And you know, often in our culture, we are told to just stuff it down, to just pretend that it's not there. If we're talking about old songs, remember that old one, don't cry out loud, just keep it inside, learn how to hide your feelings. What is that? That's just stupid. Like the message of that song, and we we sing that song like it's, you know, for a while it was so popular way back in the day. I don't remember when that song was. But everyone loved that song. Don't cry out loud. Be strong. Hide your feelings. It's completely opposite of what God says is healthy for us. God says, confess it. Don't keep it inside. Let it out. Confess it. Now do it in a healthy way with the right people in the right places. It doesn't mean just regurgitate all over everybody around you all the time, but confess it and get it out. And why does the Bible say that it's important to get that guilt out? Well, because unconfessed sin, this repressed guilt, morphs into something called shame. And shame is something that steals your identity like nothing else can. It gets inside of you and it robs you of any joy. It robs you of any... um, true picture of who you are. Shame is a destructive, destructive thing. And here's the difference between guilt and shame. We feel guilt for what we do. We feel shame for who we are. Guilt says, I did something wrong. Shame says, I am something wrong. Do you see the difference between the two? Shame is destructive. It causes us to believe that we are just something wrong and it causes us to to do that whole thing where we just self-focus and self-obsess because all we can see is this thing inside of us and it robs us of any joy. And you know what? Shame has an enemy. The enemy of shame is grace and that's what confession brings about. It brings about an opportunity for God to just pour out his grace on us so that we don't have to be ashamed anymore. 
It says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us from every wrong. Grace comes through confession. When we confess, then God forgives us. It's the pouring out of his grace, the release of shame. Now, I want you to understand that when I say confession, I don't mean confession like going to the Catholic church and having to sit in the booth with the priest on the other side and tell him all of your sins. That's not what I mean by that. When I say confession, I mean a time alone between you and God, wherever you are, but a time that you just come together with God and you're honest with him about what's happening in your life, about what you've done, about who you are, and you say, God, this is the picture of what's gone wrong, and I want you to make it right. I'm asking for forgiveness. I want to change it. I want to do it right. That's what confession is. Say, God, I want to begin again the right way. Now, as a kid, I had one of these toys, an Etch-a-Sketch. Anyone else have an Etch-a-Sketch as a kid? Yeah, a number of you. Now, I have to say that I had a um, love-hate relationship with the Etch-a-Sketch, truth be told, because what I loved about the Etch-a-Sketch was that I had all kinds of ideas of the great and amazing things that I could make on an Etch-a-Sketch. But the truth was, when I started turning the little knobs, it never turned out exactly the way that I was thinking. My head envisioned something phenomenal, and what came out on the screen was never quite as... um, impressive, shall we say, as what I was thinking in my head. And you know, I worked at the Etch-a-Sketch for a long time, and I worked, and I worked, and I worked, and after a while, I practiced really hard, and I learned how to make stairs really well on this thing. (laughs) I got really adept at making stairs. And yet, I would look at my stairs, I'm like, that's not what I wanted it to be, and I'd keep moving the knobs, and I'd keep trying to fix it over and over again, and the more I tried to fix it, the more messed up I got. That is why I hated the Etch-a-Sketch. But on the other hand, the love part of my relationship with the Etch-a-Sketch is this. You get to just shake it and start all over. It wasn't like a pen and, or a pencil and paper where you had to erase it and you still saw the marks that were left behind. No, with the Etch-a-Sketch, you just give it a good shake. And it's fresh start all over again. This is why I loved the Etch-a-Sketch. A confession is very much like an Etch-a-Sketch. <laughs> it's taking this picture to God and saying, God, it's not turning out the way that I meant for it to be. This isn't the picture that I thought that I was making. I know it's not the picture that you want to see on here. So can you take it and give me a clean start? That's what confession is. And you know, shame, that shame that we talked about, when shame is rooted inside of you, it keeps you from doing that clean slate. Shame tells you to keep looking at this messed up picture and to keep scratching away at it and wishing that it would be different. And shame tells you to just keep obsessing over this picture and trying to change it and wishing it was something that, it, that it's not. But grace tells you to start all over. Grace says here, Take my picture. And God says, I've been waiting for this. My mercies are new every single day. So verse in Isaiah 44, 22, it's not in your outline, uh, but it says this, I love it. It says, I have swept away your sins. I have swept them away like the morning mist. I have scattered your offenses like the clouds. Oh, return to me, for I have paid the price to set you free. It's what confession does for us. You know, there's another guy in the Bible named David. And um, David was a guy who is described as a man after God's own heart. But David messed up a lot too. And there was a season in David's life when he was supposed to have been leading his country with honor and integrity. And instead, he was staying at home, committing adultery and murder. And then he was trying to cover it up and pretend like it never happened. And David got to the point where all he could do was stare at this horrible picture in front of him. And finally, David said, okay, God, I'm going to give you my (laughs) etch-a-sketch. And when he did that, he penned these words from Psalm 32. Part of it is in your outline. I'm going to read a little bit more than what is in your outline. And my translation is just a little bit different than what's in your outline today. But this is what it says in Psalm 32. Oh, what joy for those whose rebellion is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. 
When I refused to confess my sin, I was weak and miserable. I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. This is suppressed guilt, (laughs) unresolved guilt right here. But finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide them. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. And then the psalm continues, therefore, let the godly confess the rebellion while there is still time that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. I love that last verse. After this confession, after God says, your guilt is gone, and then he says, I will guide you along the best pathway pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. You see, confession not only cleans our slate from the past, but it clears our focus for the future. That is the beautiful thing about confession. It not only clears the past, but it gives us a clear focus for the future because instead of always focusing and worrying about what happened back here and looking to to what happened before, looking behind us, instead we can look ahead to what is coming next, to what God has for us. We can look forward to the future with hope because we've confessed and God says, okay, that's behind you now. Stop turning around. Stop looking at that. Don't be obsessing over what's behind you. It's gone. When you turn around, there will be nothing left there. Look forward to the future that I'm giving you. We get a blank slate to start all over again, a canvas that anything can be painted on. This is the beauty of confession. Clearing our slate and clearing our focus. The second thing when our past wants to hijack us, it's good to remember that I have been remade by God himself. I have been remade by God himself. 2 Corinthians 5.17. What this means is that those who have become Christians become new persons. They are not the same anymore, for the old life is gone, and a new life has begun. When you became a follower of Jesus, the old went away, the past cleared, etch-a-sketch shaken, and a new life has begun. You've confessed it, you have a clean slate, and now it's time to just live like the new person that God has made you to be. Unfortunately, that's a little easier said than done, right? We want to live like the new person, but sometimes we we keep operating in these patterns from the past. We kind of get stuck in these patterns from the past. And we know in our heads that we're new people, but somehow we struggle with living out the experience of being that new person who God says that we are. In his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Pete Scazzaro outlines three great temptations that want to hijack our identity. Three things that um, try to keep us stuck in living out the old patterns. And the three big ones, the top three that Pete Scazzaro identifies anyway, is that we want to keep living in this pattern that I am what I do. And we keep living out that identity. I am what I do. It's my personal favorite one, actually, this performance thing, that I want to keep going back to this place that says my value is dependent on how well I can perform for you, how well I can do this. My value as a person is determined by what I can produce for you or what I can add to you or do for you. It's not a healthy way to live. Another temptation to, is to continue to live in that identity that says I, ha- I am what I have. And the things around me, my possessions, my house, my clothes, my car, my, my family, the people that I surround myself with, those things that I possess are what make me who I am. And we keep going back and reliving that identity instead of living out this new person. Or another temptation is that I am what others think. I am what others think. And this can work two ways. It can either become this extreme self-image um, management kind of thing where you're trying to always be perfect and put on this perfect show because that is what gives you value in the eyes of other people, what they think that you are, or it can work on the flip side of the coin that you know someone thinks that you don't amount to much. And so you say, well, that is who I am then. They think that I am not valuable, therefore I must not be very valuable. 
And these ways of living out these identities try to hijack us from being that new person that we are, that God says that we are. And we keep replaying those lies in our minds. But the truth is that we are not that person anymore. And to me, it helps to think of it in this way. Professional athletes get traded all the time, right? In 2001, Drew Brees became the quarterback for the San Diego Chargers. There he is, Drew Brees, San Diego Chargers in 2001. Now, drawing from my vast knowledge of football, (laughs) which means my husband told me this, Drew Brees (laughs) had a pretty successful run as a quarterback for the San Diego Chargers um, for several years. But then in 2006, Drew Brees was traded to a new team. And Drew Brees became a New Orleans Saint. And that's where his identity now lies. Now, the man who used to be clearly identified as a charger was in that moment, a transaction happened, a deal was made, a deal was done, and then suddenly he becomes a New Orleans saint. Boom, the deal is done. And now his allegiance and his identity lie with a completely new team. Now, here's the thing, though. I'm sure that at first it seemed a little odd for people to see Drew Brees in his new identity because he had functioned as a charger for several years. So it seemed a little odd for people to see him as a saint now, especially the fans of that team. And I'm sure for Drew Brees himself, it seemed a little odd. It probably took a little bit of time for him to get used to that new identity that I'm not a charger anymore. I'm now a saint. And it required him to learn new things, new ways of doing things. He would have had to learn new plays. He would have had to learn new team dynamics. He would have had to learn new ways to drive to the stadium. There would have been a lot of things that Drew Brees would have needed to learn how to live out in order to live out his new identity. And I'm sure at first it felt a little awkward or a little unnatural for him. I'm sure there were times that he felt like, oh my goodness, I just wish I could go back to this familiar place that I was in for all these years before. But the fact remained that he couldn't go back there anymore because he was now identified as a new person, as a new player. The transaction happened, the deal was done. And I think you know where I'm going with this. When you became a follower of Christ, you were traded to a new team. The identity that you had before is done, it's gone. You don't play for that team anymore. You are now aligned with a new team, a transaction was made, a deal was done, the price was paid. And because that price was paid, your identity is purchased as a brand new person. And now you just need to figure out a new way of living out that new person. And it might feel a little awkward or unnatural at times at the beginning. It might feel like, oh, I just wanna go back to what's familiar. But the truth is you're not that person anymore. When we want to feel that pull to go back to those old familiar patterns, God says to us, that is not who you are. That's not just not what you do anymore. That is not who you are anymore. Your identity has been sealed as a new player. You are now a saint. And I love that this illustration works on both levels there. (laughs) You are now a saint And we have to remind ourselves of that truth each and every day. That's why at the beginning of this series, we gave you this little bookmark. If you're here the first week of the series, it was in your program guide. If you weren't here that week or if you've lost your bookmark, there's extras available at Ministry Central. But the point of this little bookmark was to remind you of the truth of who you are. And there is power in reminding yourself of that. The Cliff Snows version of it is on the front that just says, I am accepted, I am secure, I am significant. But on the back are all of the statements that the scriptures on the front represent that says this is who you are. And I challenge you for the next two weeks to read the back of this bookmark out loud to yourself every day. I know that's gonna feel a little unnatural or a little weird, But there is something powerful about speaking the truth of who you are out loud to yourself. I challenge you to do it for two weeks and just see how it changes how you view who you are. That you pick up this bookmark every day and remind yourself that I am a child of God. I am Jesus' chosen friend. 
I'm united to the Lord and I am one in spirit with him. I have been bought with a price. I belong to God. I am part of Christ's body, part of this family. I'm a holy person who belongs to God. I have been adopted as God's child. I have been bought back and forgiven of all my sins. I am complete in Christ. I am forever free from condemnation. I am sure that all things work together for good. I cannot be separated from the love of God. I am hidden in Christ with God. I have a wonderful future with God. I could find grace and mercy in times of need. I am born of God and the evil one cannot touch me. I am salt and light for everyone around me. I am part of the true vine. I am joined to Christ and able to produce lots of fruit. I am handpicked by Jesus to bear fruit. I am a spirit-empowered witness of Christ. I am a temple where the Holy Spirit lives. I am God's building project, his handiwork, created to do good work. I am able to do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Friends, that is who you are. As a part of the new team, that is who you are. This is who God says that you are. You've been made into a new person. And be patient with yourself, but be committed to the process as you live out that new identity. Athletes know that there's this thing called muscle memory. And sometimes an athlete will figure out that they have learned a bad way of of doing something. They have kind of an incorrect pattern and their muscles will automatically default to this pattern that they have learned because they have this muscle memory that wants to draw them back there. And so what they know is that they need to keep practicing the right way over and over again, consistently practicing it the right way so that what happens? A new muscle memory is formed. And that over time, after consistent practice, consistent application of doing it the right way, that new muscle memory starts defaulting to the right way of doing things. The same is true in our lives. Sometimes we feel the pull of this muscle memory to the way that we used to function or the way that we used to operate and we we end up saying, I I just can't. It's just who I am. I can't be something different. But I want you to hear this today. This is not who you are. This is what you have learned. It is not who you are. It is what you have learned and you can learn a new pattern, a new way of living out, a new muscle memory to live out who God has made you to be. It is time to shake the (laughs) Etch-A-Sketch. It's time to start over and learn a new way and to start thinking like a new player. So get into your Bible, learn what it says, know who you are so that you can learn the new plays for the team that you now play on. It says in Colossians 3.16, let the words of Christ in all their richness live in your hearts and make you wise. I love that. Let the words of Christ live in your heart and make you wise. That new way of thinking, letting Christ's words live in your heart will change the way that you live. And pretty soon you're going to be able to say things like, why should I live in fear anymore? When 2 Timothy 1.17 tells me that I have not been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love and power and of sound mind. You'll say, why should I say that I can't? When Philippians 4.13 says that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Why should I be stressed and worried? When 1 Peter 5.7 says that I can cast all my anxiety on him because he cares for me. Why should I feel alone? When Hebrews 13.5 says that he will never leave me and he will never forsake me. Why should I feel like a loser when Romans 8.37 tells me that I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me? And why should I let Satan steal my identity, take away my identity when 1 John 4, 4 says that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. (sighs) I wish we had pulpits to pound. We don't do that much here at Daybreak. But it's one of those moments like this is who we are. And sometimes I wonder if God is wanting to do that to us. Remember, this is what I say about who you are. Live it out. Don't be stuck in the past. Don't let that past continue to define your future. You are a new creation. Live it out. Know the truth. The truth sets you free. (laughs) 
Know the truth of who you are because your past has no right, no right to define your future. Your past has no hold on who you are today and who you will become tomorrow. God has given us a clean slate. And so as we close today, I want to challenge you to consider, are there ways that your past is holding you hostage? (laughs) Are there ways that you have been hijacked because there's stuff that's simmering, that guilt that's simmering beneath the surface that has gone unconfessed and it's morphing into all kinds of ugly stuff and God is saying to you today, confess it, release it, let it go. Maybe today there's a picture on your Etch-a-Sketch that you're saying, God, I'm embarrassed by this, I'm humiliated by this, and I, for the first time, need you to see it, I need you to take it, and I need you to clear it away from me so that I can be free to live out my new identity. Or maybe today God is saying, you need to renew your mind to the truth. You need to get into the word, you need to know what I say. And you need to renew your mind so that you know who you're playing for. I'm not sure what God is saying to you today individually, but I ask you, I challenge you, I beg you to be free from the stuff in the past. Listen to what God wants to say to you about being released from your past because God says in John 1.12 that to all who believed him, he gave the right to be children of God. He wants to be your father, your daddy, your Abba. (laughs) He wants you to live out that new identity as his child. Don't be hijacked by your past. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you that by the power of your name, you have given me a new identity. And I pray that you teach me how to live out that identity in all of its fullness and that I would live out that identity with courage and with confidence. That I would live full out who you've made me to be without reservation, without hesitation. That I would fully embrace who you've made me to be. God, please show me the places where I get stuck in the past where I allow myself to define who I was. And God, I ask that you teach our hearts to be humble so that we can confess our failures and our mistakes and our regrets to you. And then let us, let you teach us (laughs) to fully embrace the clean slate and the clear future that you've given us. Thank you, God, that we are more than our past mistakes. Thank you that you have remade us into something new. God, we will be forever grateful. Thank you for your amazing love, your amazing power, your amazing forgiveness that remakes us into something brand new. We love you, God. Amen.